Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Serious Black, part one. May I have your attention, please? May I have your attention, please? Will the real Weird Sisters please stand up? We're gonna have a problem here. Were the Weird Sisters, were the real Weird Sisters, all you other Weird Sisters are fine, but not the Victors. Will the real Weird Sisters please stand up? Please stand up? Please stand up? Hi, and welcome to the Real Weird Sisters. I'm Martha. And I'm Alice. And today we're here to talk about Sirius Black in the third book. Alice, he was their friend, but he betrayed them. He was their friend! <laughs> so I'm very excited to talk about this uh, horrible man who was their friend, and he betrayed them uh, this week. Uh, how are you feeling about talking about Sirius here, Alice? I mean, sorry, Snuffles. <laughs> um, yeah, please call him Snuffles, Martha. We don't want people who are listening to you know, figure out anything about his whereabouts or anything. And Snuffles is just a, you know, an uncrackable code. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, But yes, I'm very excited to be talking about Sirius this week. Um, Before we get into talking about Sirius, I want to quickly mention um, we're doing something pretty fun on our social media for March. Um, Alice, did you know uh, there's a thing called March Madness? I've never really, I'm not really sure what it's, what it is normally. It's a reference to something, I think. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I've like definitely heard the name before, but um, I never really like knew what it was. Mr. Crouch, I think, is kind of a reference. Like, was that the month that Barty Crouch went mad? Was in probably, March? Probably, probably. But yeah, I know I've I've never really understood what it was until this month when when uh, we figured out how to do it for our show. So, yeah, so we're doing a real weirdo matchup um, or March Madness matchup showdown. Uh, <laughs> Clearly, we know a lot about it, uh, but no, we're doing all, almost all characters that we've done character studies for uh, on Twitter and Instagram. We're doing votes every day, uh, matchups between real weirdos to find out who's the ultimate real weirdo. So this past week, we I guess we started it on Thursday or Wednesday. So by the time you're listening to this episode, we'll probably be on like the sixth or seventh match matchup. Um, but we're, the the voting is taking place on our Twitter at Real Weird Sister and our Instagram at Real Weird Sisters Pod. So far, we've had a couple interesting matchups, and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what our results are going to be. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I enjoy the the aspect of everybody sending us their brackets, uh, so we could see like what people are kind of thinking. Um, so we'll have to see if anybody calls it or not. 
Yes, so I'm excited to find out. A lot of people's brackets looked very similar, so uh, unless we see a big upset, I think we might have some some close uh, calls, or we'll see who's who's the ultimate person who has the correct bracket. But a lot of people were like asking us what the rules were. We're like, well, what, what? Why would we know the rules? It's not like we made this, even though we did. It's not like we know anything about how brackets work. Well, exactly. That's the real thing. It's like, you really <laughs> expect us to understand how to fill out a bracket? We've never filled out a bracket in our lives. I have filled out plenty of brackets, sadly. Um, well, I will... for sports? Well, I, w- I have been in a variety of different work settings and kind of social settings where I've been pressured into filling out a bracket. And uh, usually I just, for March Madness, I go with whatever team name I either... I think the mascot sounds cute or I like know somebody who went to that school. That's usually how I pick it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I actually <laughs> kind of remember I have a, ra- a really random memory one time of being in the car. I think I was like a freshman in high school or something and you were in college and you were driving me to my friend's house and you were picking up your other friend or something and your friend got in the car and the two of you started talking about March Madness teams. I do remember this not. now, you actually. You yes. made this no, up. No, no, no. And she was like, Villanova is looking good. And I was like, what is Villanova? And you were like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't buy This is this is so made up right no, now. No, it's I... not. It, it was, it's 100% real because it's how I, it's how I know the, the school Villanova. <laughs> yeah, because you heard it somewhere and then you had a dream where that manifested in it. No, I, I was, I'm not making this up. I don't believe it at all. So uh, I guess after the call, I'll have to confirm details with you. But that literally does not sound one bit like me. <laughs> well, it was it was the friend. Or any of my friends, you honestly. Talking. Once you know which friend it is, I think you're going to understand. I... Okay, yeah, we'll see. I sincerely doubt that. Okay, so that's enough on that March Madness. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and, and Instagram so you can vote in our daily polls. It's going to be uh, fun. We're leading up to probably on this, the right-hand side of the bracket pretty soon because uh, I clearly know the lingo here. <laughs> yes, um, so definitely get in the game if you haven't already. Um, and we'd love to you know, have you voting in the polls. And you're, I mean... I don't think we really have any anything at stake here. So if you want to still fill out a bracket, you still can. Yes. Um, although I don't think that you're going to win. We can't count the win if you fill out the bracket at this point. Well, right. But like I said, I, I don't really know what the prize is. What so. the stakes are. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good point. <laughs> All right. So let's get back into t- discussing Sirius here. Um, we are going to be just talking about his arc in the third book today. And since he's a pretty major character... Um, we've kind of divided this into four general themes of Sirius in the third book. So our four themes, and it sort of goes chronologically, but there's some overlap between the four themes. First, we have Sirius as the prisoner of Azkaban, so obviously the the titular character. Uh, Snuffles, the Sirius Harry <laughs> relationship, and finally Sirius's backstory. So these four themes we'll be discussing. But let's start first of all with our first impressions of Sirius Black. What are, what were your first impressions? Yeah, so I think I've talked about this frequently on the show but I wasn't really like won over by Sirius for quite a while um I think I was definitely intrigued um I am definitely interested in the backstory and pretty good twist that he turns out to be you know the good guy um but I wasn't super attached to him personally like I I couldn't really relate to him or connect with him um to the point where I was like a huge Sirius fan or anything so I I was always kind of just like lukewarm on him. 
Um, but I do think that over the years I've developed a lot more of an appreciation for him and just for understanding the nuances of his plot. And I do really enjoy thinking about his character, even though he does frustrate me at times. Um, but is that similar to you? Yeah, I mean, you're kind of going way more than what I was thinking when I met first impressions. I kind of meant like just in this book, like when we first encounter him. But yeah, I agree with you of like how I felt like the first few times that I've read the books. Um, I do think I've become more interested in Sirius as I've gotten older. And like you said, in the book club, like become more sympathetic to him and really feeling like, okay, I kind of I do understand why you are the way that you are. And it makes sense that you're. I can't just call you immature, like the ways that he acts, um, even though he does ha- make some questionable decisions later on. But I think um, just thinking about what I thought about him when I first read the third book, I mean, I remember this felt like a much, I mean, we have a serious threat in both the first and second books. Um, and what's interesting is that the third book actually has the least like pressing real threats um, when you compare the three books. But at the beginning of the third book, I remember feeling very like, okay, this is a really like this is a very creepy villain um of Sirius especially like when you find out that he's broken out to get Harry and like all these things like I remember being creeped out about Sirius yeah I mean he definitely is a little scary before you realize who he is um but I always kind of that's interesting you had that reaction because I always kind of felt like yeah, I mean, it's a little bit scary, but it's not Voldemort. And Harry's already handled Voldemort, so who cares? Oh, it's just like Harry. Um, but <laughs> yeah. but it, but I do think it's interesting because, like, I mean, the the third book people like to describe, people meaning Tim and Alfonso Stans, like to describe the third book as this turning point of all of a sudden things are darker, when really the Prisoner of Azkaban book is probably the lightest of all the books, I think, uh, when you think about the things that actually end up happening. I, the Dementor is definitely very dark, um, and Wormtail escaping at the end, definitely very dark. But nobody dies in this book. Nobody um, is, like, there's no Voldemort at all, like, in the book. Um, and it actually, I think of it as probably the lightest um, besides, well, yeah, I mean, the, the first book has some light stuff, I guess, but Quirrell and Voldemort being there the whole time, like when you find out what's been going on the whole year, yeah. I think that's actually darker than... I guess the Dementors really do add a little bit of a layer here, but... Okay, yeah, I will agree with you uh, completely. I think that this book, like, I for years have been like, oh, and this is when the series starts to get darker. <laughs> but then, like, that really is thanks to Alfonso that we have that idea because right. there, there are some really serious kind of undertones and and implications of things that we learn in this book and just kind of this is when we're really starting to figure out that the Ministry of Magic is kind of disturbing um like the whole plot with Buckbeak and just the way that they go way overboard to try to get like when Sirius has escaped um I think that's scary but I don't know that is not this the main takeaway from the book that that if you're not you know really delving into like the deeper implications um I think when right. when you read it as a kid that is not your immediate takeaway and um I think it does a good job of laying the, the groundwork for that stuff but it's not really that creepy in the moment it's once you look back on it knowing what's going to happen that it, it does take on a, a bit of a creepier side 
Right. And the Dementors, like I kept saying, like they are a dark and creepy concept. And like, especially if you're comparing it to like depression and um, the, the symbolism of the Dementors. Yes, that's darker than we've had in the first two books. But as far as like the immediate threat to Harry goes, I, I mean, I just think that the third book has a lot more lightness to it than people remember because of the movie. Yes, agreed. Um, but yeah, no, Sirius is a fascinating character. I'm really excited to talk about him. Um, and it is interesting just thinking about him only in the third book, which is what we're going to do today. Um, it's just to see how he factors into the mystery of this book. Um, it's very, very well done, as usual, with the mysteries. Um, as far as being pretty, like, you do really fall for his plot, hook, line, and sinker, um, before the reveal comes at the end. Yes, totally. Um, and I mean, he this this like th- this threat of him breaking out to get Harry definitely feels very real the whole time. And I remember like reading it the first time, the moment in the Shrieking Shack when we find out that he's been that he's the dog. Like that just it, it's a very um, very well done mystery, and I really like um, you know the way that this is developed. Yes, me too. So as far as favorite things about Sirius in this book goes, it's kind of hard to say much just because we barely see anything good about him Mm, until the very end. I know what mine is, though. Is it when he talks to Crookshanks? Yes. It's sweet how he has such a good friendship with Crookshanks. Yes, agreed. That was what I was going to say, too. I mean, I I like the the scene with the scenes with Harry at the end too. But I, I think that the friendship with Crookshanks is his most um, winning factor in this book, just because it's, it is a more of a through line than the Harry stuff, because we have, we see him and Crookshanks uh, consorting multiple times and we find out that they have a good friendship and it's just very sweet. It is. Yeah. So I, I enjoy that. I do have to say, like, I agree. Like the, when, once we find out that Sirius is a good guy, um, when he offers to come let Harry live with him and, just seeing their immediate connection that they form is really powerful. And we'll get into that later. So I don't want to dismiss that. Obviously, I think that's really important too. Um, but just for a lighter on the surface level plot with him is definitely the Crookshanks. Yes. So let's get into our first theme with Sirius, which is Sirius as the prisoner of Azkaban. And this kind of is about the different rumors that Harry hears from different news sources, newspaper articles, other people is all this secondhand information about what other people are saying about the prisoner of Azkaban. And then I'm also including the um, two Hogwarts break-ins um, as well, because this is where we're kind of like really terrified of Sirius um, compared to these other, these other plots. This is, this is more like where Sirius is like a criminal. Yeah. This is the, the public perception of Sirius kind of. Right. Exactly. So our first mention of Sirius is at the beginning of chapter two. Um, Harry is kind of overhearing the muggle news on the TV and the reporting on the report of an escaped convict. So it says the public is warned that black is armed and extremely dangerous. A special hotline has been set up and any sighting of black should be reported immediately. And then Uncle Vernon is very um, upset with the way that Sirius Black looks. He says uh, that he has a gaunt face surrounded by matted elbow length tangle and he kind of uh, Harry makes Harry feel well groomed in comparison. So (laughs) some things, some interesting things stand out here about what what the the muggle news is saying about Sirius, what Vernon's reaction is, all of this stuff I think is very interesting to look at. 
Yeah, first of all, I think this is very telling about Uncle Vernon's character, just to see his reaction to seeing Sirius. It's so typical. Like, how many times have you heard comments like this from, you know, just kind of your average dude, you know? like Right. And how he's like, look at the state of him, the filthy layabout. Look at his hair. It's like, right. Yeah, that that's really, I mean, first of all, he's, Okay, I guess Uncle Vernon doesn't know he's been in Azkaban, but he's been in prison. Like, you can't really expect somebody who's been in prison to be looking their their absolute best and looking really clean cut. And, you know, I mean, that's just a little bit ridiculous of Uncle Vernon to be expecting him to look really sharp. Right, I I agree. And then, of course, the Vernon's further commentary, he's going to say, um, when will they learn that hanging's the only way to deal with these people? Um, and kind of like just his own, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterback, another sports reference here. He's just very, uh, he, has a, he has a lot to say on this case, but he really doesn't know much about it at all. <laughs> yes, he's very, um, I think that particular term for, for what he's doing here would be more of like armchair quarterback. Um, yeah, true. Just wow, showing good, how great we are with sports the, reference. With Alice the, sports Villa, references. the Villanova stand steps in. <laughs> right. So, um, but yeah, so typical of Uncle Vernon. But I do love that we get to see this is it's always fun when we get to see the muggle perception of what's going on in the wizarding world um, and just to see, you know, the fact that Sirius is on the muggle news. It's kind of interesting because like, this is Harry's first introduction to Sirius. He has no idea that Sirius is actually a wizard um, until a little bit later. And so if, you know, it's kind of a fun way of introducing this topic to show that clearly this is a big enough deal that it's reached the muggle news. Right. It definitely is uh, interesting to see that this is our first introduction to Sirius too, as well as Harry. So that when Harry sees um, the Daily Prophet article about Sirius on the night bus, he's going to be really like, surprised to find out about it that it's both in the wizarded world and the muggle world um i was kind of curious about what you think this hotline is um is this like special hotline does that mean it goes straight to um like wizarding law enforcement or what do you think i do think so um i think you know if they get a i think it goes straight to the wizarding law enforcement um the other thing that cracks me up is just when uncle vernon's like they didn't tell us where he's broken out from and um i found that sort of interesting because like we know that some of the ways that the wizarding you know magic of covering up their world works is just kind of like by muggles not really paying attention or not noticing like when weird details are off um so i wonder if other muggles came up with that question or if that was more of just because Uncle Vernon is actually aware of the Wizarding World, maybe he's able to notice that detail more. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Um, Uncle Vernon clearly, I think he and Petunia probably do watch this kind of thing a lot. Like Petunia, Harry's speculating that Petunia would want to be the one to call the hotline number. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it does seem like an omission that maybe other people would notice because it is kind of strange to be like and it doesn't it's also weird that it doesn't say what he was convicted of it just said he's armed and extremely dangerous that he's an escaped convict so it is kind of a lot of information that's left out yeah but i just think maybe some other muggles who aren't aware of the wizarding world might not have noticed that stuff you know like how they don't notice where the leaky cauldron entrance is and that kind of thing right um you know that that could be true so that's a good 
Good question. Um, so let's move on to our next uh, observation of Sirius, which is going to be on the night bus. Like I said, Harry's going to see the face of Sirius Black coming from the Daily Prophet picture. And Harry's like, that man, he was on the Muggle News. <laughs> <laughs> so then it's kind of interesting because Stan is like our introduction to Sirius Black. Yeah, I, I like when we get an introduction this way. It's a creative way that keeps us kind of interesting, interested and then also just kind of to hear what the general wizarding public thinks about Sirius Black. Um, of course he was on the Muggle News. Neville, where you been? <laughs> right. Um, and then you want to read the papers more, Neville. <laughs> <laughs> like our stupid accents that we're doing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this article, I mean, I guess Stan's not, Stan sort of serves as our introduction to Sirius, but we also have the article from the Daily Prophet. So what's interesting is that it says that Fudge has been criticized for telling the Muggle Prime Minister, and Fudge is like, "Well, I really had to. Don't, don't you know?" <laughs> um, he's like a Canadian now. I had to. Don't you know? <laughs> don't you know? I guess that's Minnesota. Um, But yeah, he says he had to because Black is mad and that he's going to, uh, (laughs) he's a danger to anyone who crosses him. Um, So it says, while muggles have been told that Black is carrying a gun, a kind of metal wand that muggles use to kill each other, the magical community lives in fear of a massacre like that of 12 years ago when Black murdered 13 people with a single curse. So uh, what's interesting then is when Harry looks at the picture, it says Harry had never seen a vampire, but he had seen pictures of them in his defense against the dark arts classes. And Black, with his waxy white skin, looked just like one. Kind of random. (laughs) I know. I've never really thought of Sirius as looking like a vampire, because I don't think I've paid attention to that line before. Right. (laughs) but i like how i think it's kind of interesting that this is when harry starts taking serious a a little more like a little more seriously um because you know now he finds out he's a wizard and it's he sounds i mean it's it's more scary to harry now he's still not that scared but it's more scary than when he thought it was just a random muggle convict Right. Uh, definitely. I mean, I don't think Harry really was even concerned at all about Sirius Black when he just saw the Muggle news. Uh, but now that he knows that this is and he has the details, too, that Black murdered 13 people with a single curse. Um, and then Stan's going to be the one who kind of gives him more information about how Black was a supporter of you know who. I mean, you know who. Um, <laughs> and that uh, he's one of the only supporters who wasn't tracked down. Um, and was finally found but then that's when he did this massacre (laughs) right um yeah so it's an interesting story because you can line up all the parts with what actually happened and i i always like when that's a really fun element of mysteries is like we've got this this plot line that makes sense given what we know right now but then later you can kind of fill in the gaps and you get a totally different story um so that's definitely the case with this one Right, because the story that's given here is that he was cornered in the middle of the street, took out his wand, blasted half the street, wizard got it. So it does mention that there was a wizard involved. Of course, we're going to find out later that that's Pettigrew, allegedly. Um, Then it says, you know what Black did then? He just laughed. Um, Because he's mad, isn't he? Isn't he, Yern? Isn't he mad? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Stan. Um, 
And then Ernie's very serious. He weren't when he went to Azkaban. He will be now. I'd blow myself up before I set foot in that place. Serves him right, mind you. (laughs) You sound like Hagrid. No, I don't. I was trying to sound wise. (laughs) That's not at all how I've ever pictured Ernie Mc... Uh, Not Ernie McMillan. Ernie Prang's voice, but... Well, it's not Ernie McMillan, so it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um... But so, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Then we also get this discussion of how he's the only person to ever have broken out of Azkaban. So that's a threat in and of itself that he's um, just clearly, uh, clearly a frightening man that he was able to do that. Um, And then there's the mention of the Azkaban guards as well. So kind of that's also a sort of we don't get a full story of what the Azkaban guards are until later in the book. There's several times that the Azkaban guards are mentioned, but yes, this is not a Dementor's character study, so. No, you have mentioned them quite a bit, though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's pretty much it for Stan's analysis here. We do have a little bit of Harry's introspection here about how he, Harry, had broken Wizard Law just like Sirius Black. <laughs> yeah, same level, Harry. <laughs> how he thinks he's going to be going to Azkaban for this. Um, but then our next uh, our next mention of Sirius is going to be um, in the Leaky Cauldron. Harry's like making small talk with Fudge. <laughs> He's like, "Have you had any luck with Black yet?" <laughs> yeah, good one, Harry. Fudge, what's that? Oh, you've heard. Well, no, not yet, but it's only a matter of time. The Azkaban guards have never yet failed, and they are angrier than I've ever seen them. <laughs> Love picturing the Dementors being angry. Yeah, they're like kissing. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. I, I don't understand how they communicate with the Dementors. Um, yeah, that's that's a good question. <laughs> okay, but um, again, it's not a Dementor character study, so let's let's move right. on from that. But yeah, it is interesting to see Fudge, um, and just you know, kind of see him like acting a little bit sketchy about Sirius like he clearly does know the the story of that the fact that um Black is after Harry and that um you know he he knows the whole backstory we'll find out later about um Sirius supposedly betraying James and everything so you can see how he's kind of in a weird position here with Harry Right. Um, so Fudge kind of does just sidestep the question and there's not much of a discussion here. But at this point, the reader's still like sympathetic to Fudge and thinks that Fudge is like on the right side of things. So kind of an interesting thing to read here. Mm-hmm. Um, then we do get another mention um, of just people's other or other random people's impressions of Sirius, which is kind of interesting here. We have um, when Harry's in Diagon Alley by himself, we hear just a random person saying, personally, I won't let any of the children out alone until he's back in Azkaban. So I think this kind of, this whole sequence sort of just shows that Sirius is kind of a discussion across the wizarding community. Yeah, it's definitely like something that all the wizards and witches are thinking about and that they're, you know, very concerned about. And I think it's very accurate to just, you know, when there's a big current event like that going on, that you would overhear a conversation like that. So that it is a good little detail that we get there. Um, yeah, definitely. So our next next mention, um, this is kind of a random one, but we hear Mr. Weasley talking about Sirius and he's talking about how 
Black's not going to be caught by a 13-year-old wizard because Ron's like saying, well, we should try to catch him. Um, (laughs) Mr. Weasley, it's the Azkaban guards. We'll get him back. You mark my words. Like, okay, Mr. Mr. Weasley's big Dementors now. (laughs) He's a huge Dementor fan and he's... He's just really going out on a limb to hazard a guess that maybe the guards will be the ones who lock them up. It's super weird to me that up until up until the point where we meet the Dementor, uh, we we always refer to them as the Azkaban guards, and then right, after, after that, after that, they once we know what a Dementor is, they never call them the Azkaban guards anymore. I know. Well, I guess once it's a matter of respect because Harry's like, I think, respects them a little bit more when he thinks of them as the Azkaban guards. But once he meets them or once he finds out the truth about them, he is only going to refer to them as the Dementors. But well, right. But it's not even just how Harry refers to them. It's like everyone. Um, they're all just the Azkaban guards. Maybe maybe it's kind of one of those situations where Harry doesn't know the word Dementor yet. So it kind of doesn't register with him when they when people are saying stuff about the Dementors. Um, and then once he does know what they, what they are, he he starts hearing that word all the time. Right. It's the, what's that called? The something effect. I always forget what the name of that effect is. I have no idea, but it does. Botter-Meinhof. It does occur to me frequently. The Botter-Meinhof effect. That's the first time I've haven't had to Google what that's called. So. Good job. (laughs) I hope, maybe I'm probably wrong actually, now that (laughs) I've said that so confidently. Um, okay. So that's actually um, the, the last kind of mention for a while of Sirius as the prisoner. We're going to get a lot more stuff with Sirius as the as the other plots um, in the middle of this. But our next kind of thing is going to be when we're at Hogwarts, we have, first of all, the sighting of him not too far from Hogwarts. That's uh, going to be um, the very exciting morning when they read this in the paper. And then um, the subsequent attacks or the subsequent break-ins of Hogwarts so like I said we have this morning where they're reading the, the newspaper and Seamus uh, breaks the news Harry have you heard Daily Prophet they reckon Sirius Black's been sighted not yeah, too and- far from here he's excited <laughs> that's very typical too because you know I remember talking about news stories like that when I was you know in middle school or whatever and and being like really psyched or like just super interested even though it's it was something really dangerous or something that you, it's kind of weird that, you know, kids would get excited about, but um, there is something that's kind of exciting about that. I think, yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Like it's, it, you don't really think critically about it at that age. Like you're kind of like, uh, or at least most people don't, or it's like, it's kind of a famous person or like you're, you're, you might be on the news. Like if you, if this person, like, I, I don't have a specific example from my childhood, thankfully. Um, but well, I, just... I remember one actually was like around when I was in middle school, there was uh, a kidnapping, like not that far from us. Um, and I just remember like kind of talking about it a lot, like really excited, even though it's like, I was also really terrified of it. Um, and it obviously was horrible, but I think that's sort of a natural reaction to just be like really interested. Yeah. So, I mean, you were, you weren't like hoping to get kidnapped though, right? Oh, definitely not. No, okay. I was terrified I would get kidnapped. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they're, they're all just like excited here. Um, and then we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Malfoy's reaction when we get to the, um, serious backstory, um, plot here. Um, but our next 
part with Sirius as a criminal is going to be um, the the slashing of the fat lady portrait, um, which is uh, just kind of a pretty like um, jarring moment, I think, for the people at Hogwarts because it's like all of a sudden it's actually there, uh, or it's like a threat that's on their in their uh, vicinity. Um, but what's interesting too, is that the fallout then is there's all this, all these rumors and buzz, of, like things that Sirius can do after the fact. So like it says Hannah Abbott from Hufflepuff spent much, much of their, of course, uh, did you know she's from Hufflepuff, Alice? <laughs> A round faced girl from Hufflepuff. <laughs> she spent much of their next herbology class telling anyone who'd listen that black could turn into a flowering shrub. <laughs> yeah. Again, this is just like that gossip mill that gets going when there's something that's, you know, kind of interesting in the news. Um, but I like how she, it's kind of a random thing for Hannah to get attached to. Yeah, I know. I don't really get, I mean, I feel like this was the author being like, let's do some world building and character, random character building. And she just put this in there. <laughs> I mean, I do believe in like the idea that people are, you know, you know, making these weird claims and that kind of thing that does fit with this plot but just that hannah abbott said that and was like adamant about it is a little bit silly right um but yeah i, I do think that this um fat lady thing is kind of interesting to talk about because kind of crazy that sirius did slash the fat lady. <laughs> i guess maybe i mean just knowing who sirius is i mean he is a little bit reckless and i think you know mm-hmm. if he's you know desperate to get to wormtail um I don't think he would kill random victims, but a painting, I mean, I guess that could be debated, like, the ethics behind that, and maybe uh, we will do so on a patron cast at some point. But um, I just think, like, Sirius probably knew that he could, like, slash the painting without, you know, first of all, hurting any any living beings, but also just, like, I think he knew that, like, the fat lady could run to another portrait, you know? So she wasn't actually damaged herself. Right. But still, I just feel like this is like pretty, I mean, he's not doing any favors for himself as far as his <laughs> like reputation goes. So it's kind of like. No, I certainly mean, not. I get it. Like he's trying to kill Pettigrew or get Pettigrew or whatever. And it, I do understand that meta- that motivation. But I just feel like slashing the fat lady is pretty, the, the poor, the poor fat lady. Well, I do feel bad for her, but this is, again, like, I do wonder how much sentience those paintings really have, like, <laughs> to where, it's, you know, I it's, it's tough to say what the morals of this are. But, yeah, I mean, that was kind of a brutal act that he did, and I do, I have always felt bad for the fat lady because she's quite traumatized by it, even though at points it also seems like she sort of enjoyed it, but, like... <laughs> It's just, I I don't know. I think, like, I mean, I guess this is sort of, like, the ends are justifying the means here. But, like, she was fine. Well, yeah, I guess that's... Results-oriented logic, but... Results-oriented, exactly. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, maybe... But the the thing is that Sirius could have... I, I do believe he could have known. Like, he could have just been certain that she would be fine when he did that. Right. Um... I guess maybe he did know, but I just do feel like it's pretty, it's one of the probably most extreme things Sirius does again <laughs> and not doing any favors to himself here. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was trying to get Wormtail to kill him. So he was trying to do something even more brutal than what he actually did. 
That's um, true. But so you can see how maybe he was pretty desperate to get into that common room at all costs. Right. Um, so then um, before we get to the next break in, we have um, Lupin discussing the Dementor's kiss with Harry. And we get the the news from the Daily Prophet that the Ministry have given the Dementor's permission to perform the kiss um, if they find Sirius. Again, so, no need for a trial. No need for anything. We'll just well, perform I mean, I the do kiss. Think- for serious, I mean, in Sirius's case, not to defend the Ministry justice system, but in Sirius's case, he already is a tried convict, you know, like, not that he had the fairest trial ever, but, like, it's, he's not just on the run for the first time. Like, he's, he's an escaped convict. Well, that's true, yeah, but, But um, still, I mean, that, that did he, again. Did he actually not, get a trial, or did, was he probably just... Probably not, that's what I was going to say, like, I mean, allegedly he's a, a, a tried convict, but he probably didn't get much of a trial, if all, yeah. if at all. Yeah, I think he, I, I mean, yeah, you're right. This is a little different, but it still is pretty, like, this is what I mean about the things we're finding out about the ministry in this book are, are actually what's really dark about this book. Right, exactly. That's a good point. Um, but yes, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about Harry's reaction to this here, but Harry is, um, he decides that he thinks Sirius deserves it, but we'll talk about that more when we get to the backstory stuff and um, Harry's relationship with Sirius um, discussion. Um, so our final plot with Sirius as the prisoner is going to be the second break-in, and that's going to be when he breaks into the dormitory and has the knife over Ron's bed. (laughs) (laughs) Which, again, like, I know he was there to get, uh, Wormtail, but, like, this is pretty, this is a pretty traumatic experience for poor Ron. It, it is. I mean, it does seem like Ron handles it pretty well. Uh, he seems to really revel in it later but i mean like the fat lady (laughs) well yeah i mean here's the thing i we know now that sirius was never gonna kill ron you know he wasn't there to try to attack ron um but it definitely i mean i think he's just so he's just so desperate at this point that like he's not really thinking about how he could be you know painting himself into an even worse corner you know he he's just he's willing to do whatever it takes Right. Um, so I think that, yeah, I mean, we definitely, this is definitely evidence of that. I just feel like, again, maybe maybe we could also blame this on the fact that he probably ha- is not well nourished. He's probably... Yeah, I just um, think his decision-making skills are really low right now. Right. Pretty compromised as far as pretty much all his um, <laughs> bodily functions. Like, he's probably hasn't been bathed in a long time. Um, <laughs> very probably doesn't get much to drink or or eat or you know yeah, he's I don't, just been eating like scraps from, scraps yeah. from the dumpster as a dog um right and that's been his like nourishment and then yeah he's just been sleeping like in the forbidden forest and um you know the, the most interaction he's had with another being in like 13 years is the dementors right. and crookshanks Right, because it's not just the the last few months on the run. It's also the last 13 years. He's done his waiting. <laughs> 13 years in Azkaban. 12 years of it in Azkaban. Oh, yeah, Harry's, a, cause Harry's only... Because Harry's a year and a half then. Yeah, it's 12 years in Azkaban. Yeah, well, anyway, he... Um, yes, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you have to empathize with him, too, because he has been just, like suffering i mean and and he's been tormented totally tortured in prison i mean it's totally inhumane what has happened to him so we can we can understand why he's a little bit 
you know, not making the best choices. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that is true. That's a good point. Um, so, yeah, he Sirius is breaking here. He slashed Ron's curtains. He sure, sure likes his knife, um, and then was stand <laughs> standing over Ron with a knife. Um, we I don't mean, it's really also much more beyond that. It's also very convenient for the the plot of the mystery, and it, it is a fun element of like being able to explain why that happened after the right, fact that he got the wrong bed and that he that's why he left um well that but no i mean he was trying to get wormtail oh right well i'm saying but that that's the the explanation that's given here makes sense too yes, like yes it, it all it's it all does make sense um in both the the fake story that right. we're believing in the moment and then also you know the real story Exactly. Yeah. So it's also funny to imagine Sirius with this uh, list of passwords. Like, there's that's pretty reckless of him to be just standing in the middle of uh, the hall reading off the list of passwords to yeah. talk. <laughs> you think he just ran in as a dog? Um, first of all, I'm kind of surprised that nobody stopped a dog from running into Hogwarts, right. and then right. just like you know sneaking through the corridors as a dog. I'm guessing, and then he gets to the fat lady or to Sir Cadogan and, you know, quickly transforms and, and reads through the passwords as quickly as he can or what? Uh, I guess. Yeah. And Sir Cadogan's like, come in, good sir. (laughs) (laughs) You look great. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so this is the end of the Snape or sorry, this is the end of the series as prisoner of Azkaban plot here. Um, Our next plot line that we're going to talk about now is the snuffles plot line um or the padfoot plot line the the great black dog the grim. Um, and basically yeah half of this stuff that we're going to talk about is times when harry sees him and thinks that this is the grim um <laughs> and that's just going to be kind of haunting harry throughout this book um so but our very first sighting of him is actually very early on in magnolia crescent which is um close to privet drive Harry's going to see the dog um, and it's going to be what causes him to fall down. So he, it says that there was a, he saw quite distinctly the hulking outline of something very big with wide gleaming eyes. And then that's when the night bus shows up pretty much. But I do always kind of wonder like how big is, how big is this big dog? Well, right. Cause he, in the, in the movie, he's not that big as a dog. I mean, it is kind of a large dog, but he looks, I guess, definitely not the biggest dog I've ever seen. No, I mean, and yeah, he's not this like hulking dog. Um, so I don't know. I maybe that was just Alfonso's choice, but yeah, I always wonder that as well. Um, but I don't know, and it would scare me. I think if I was just alone and it was like dusk and I saw a giant dog like just loose, um, you know, in the bushes watching me, like I would be very on edge with that as well. So I don't blame Harry for being a little uneasy. Right, with the wide gleaming eyes staring at you, that is definitely creepy, especially after you're like, you feel like you're like on the run from the law already. <laughs> so he, that's our first. He had also broken wizarding law. Right, he Harry had broken wizarding law, just like Sirius Black. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's that's our first sighting of the Grim or of Snuffles. Um, and what's going to be interesting that is that. Harry's next sighting is actually on the cover of the book in Flourish and Blots, Death Omens, What to Do When You Know the Worst is Coming. <laughs> and the, it's a, a picture of a great black dog. And according to Harry, it looked oddly familiar. It doesn't say like it looks exactly like the one he'd saw seen in Magnolia Crescent. But uh, definitely interesting. Like, 
I I think we have discussed why is it that Sirius's Animagus is the Grim pretty much. Yeah, I think that is a really interesting topic of conversation, and I haven't totally settled on any particular explanation for that. But I do think like the fact that Sirius has such a tormented life and that he is getting close to death, um, an untimely death, and he's, you know, had a lot of misfortune and just like been in weird, bad situations. Like, I do think that that definitely ties in with that concept of the Grimm. Um, But I also do think that there's an element of this plot of like, okay, you shouldn't always believe this like, hokey like hocus pocus type magic of like don't really fall for the concept of like death omens right yeah I kind of I I think there's sort of an element sort of like what you said like of I don't know if Sirius is if Sirius's dog is supposed to look exactly like the Grimm or if that's supposed to be sort of this message of like this is just a Harry seeing things that he wants to see or like tricking himself his mind's playing tricks on it and and like once he realizes what the dog is like it's not I, I don't know I just feel like it um could be sort of a message about like not taking death omen seriously yeah and then also just like the idea of the way that Harry perceives Sirius you know he comes across at first he thinks it's this huge threat and then he finds out that he's actually fine and he's not really a threat it's the same kind of message with the grim of like okay well we thought that this was a huge threat and it turns out that you know it wasn't it wasn't a threat. So we've got that symbolism as well. Right. So yeah, definitely. I'm not sure where I land on this either, but I'll be curious to hear what other people think. Um, Then we get Harry seeing the Grimm or getting the Grimm in his teacup um, in the Towns and Tea Leaves chapter. And then Harry revealing or telling Ron and Hermione that he saw the dog in Magnolia Crescent. Um, So Hermione kind of takes this line of like, Oh, you're just making this up or you're, you're just making a, you're, it's a coincidence. um, And you don't need to be worried. The Grimm's not an omen. It's the cause of death because you could die of fright. Um, and Harry's with, still with us because he's not stupid enough to see what I think right. Well, I better kick the bucket then. <laughs> well, Ron's Uncle Billius saw one and then know, he died. Kind of, 20... dis- kind of disrespectful to poor Uncle Billius. He saw he d- saw one and died 24 hours later. <laughs> I do always kind of picture Uncle Billius as being like a bit unhinged, like flipping out about having seen this Grimm, like telling everybody and then just somehow like wasn't paying attention and had like some sort of freak accident or something, but we don't right. really, we don't really know what happened to him. Right. And then we do find out a couple books later that uncle Billius is kind of a cuckoo uh, for Cocoa Puffs. So um, I can see maybe why Hermione might be right here that he did fr- scare himself to death somehow. Yeah. Uh, our next sighting of the dog is going to be at a Quidditch match and Harry's going to see the dog in the stands. And this is kind of sweet when you look back on it now and realizing that this was serious trying to watch Harry play Quidditch just to like see him play. Um, but it kind of doesn't work well, well for Harry because I mean, he sees the Dementors after this. It's not that the Grimm is the cause here, but he then is going to later blame seeing the Grimm on this Dementor fall. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, just unfortunate timing. And I do think that like, you know, it is sweet to see that Sirius was interested in, in watching Harry play Quidditch. Right. Interesting. Cause the way he sees it in the thunderstorm makes this very dramatic, but he sees 
The silhouette of an enormous shaggy black dog clearly imprinted against the sky, motionless in the topmost empty row of seats. So, like, kind of very dramatic image there. <laughs> it is. And, I mean, serious, like, if he knows he looks like a Grimm, like, you'd think maybe he'd be, like, a little bit sort of, like, I don't know, careful about the way he presents or, like, maybe not showing up in the middle of a thunderstorm, like, with a... <laughs> hulking look to yourself like maybe like stay kind of behind the bleachers or something but also I mean I do think this does speak to Sirius being a good I mean a a kind sweet man at heart because like Sirius uh knows that like if if Lupin saw him he'd be out of luck like so yeah like for real and also (laughs) if that really is quite risky um you know and even Snape like I don't know if he knew. I guess he didn't know all of that, but I feel like he might recognize the dog and be a little bit wigged right. out and figure it all out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we know that Snape doesn't actually know the whole backstory with the Animagi and stuff, but I still think that it's pretty risky to to be worried about that. I mean, and I think Sirius does know about um, Lupin working at Hogwarts, right? Uh, I I think so. I I guess I'm not totally certain on that. But Remus, I... my Remus, my old friend, have you taken your potion tonight? <laughs> I think, like at this point in the year, he ha- got he has to know. I think he's been observing Hogwarts enough um, to be aware. And I think you know, maybe he didn't know that right away, but I think he's probably figured it out by now. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so then uh, we have obviously. Harry sees uh, the dog talking to Crookshanks um, just the day of the um, the Buckbeak trial and stuff, uh, where Harry sees them walking around the grounds together, um, and then the dog coming towards them the day of the, in the chapter of Cat, Rat, and Dog. Um, but just sort of those those moments with Crookshanks, um, very cute. That is, and I think it's fun to watch Sirius as a dog and just see the way that like his character kind of manifests in dog form. Um, just how he's so reckless when he just like grabs Ron and starts dragging him into the tree. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, like that's just very typical serious. I mean, even though it's a dog, he's a dog, he's acting exactly how he normally would act. <laughs> yes. I just, every time that Sirius is described here, he is described as a gigantic, huge, hulking, like these words to describe him. He must be ginormous. Like, I just don't get it. <laughs> well, I've seen dogs that literally look like, you know, a mini horse. Um, so that's kind of what I'm picturing as far as the height, like a little Sebastian sized dog. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's like the the St. Bernard sized dog, I guess that those can be, do- those can be black, but those aren't shaggy. Those are like, well, I, I mean, know. again, I... this is an animagus. So it's, it, you maybe don't have to look exactly like a real dog. Like I, maybe you can kind of take on whatever form you want. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I guess it could be, it doesn't have to be a real dog breed or maybe, I mean, I also do wonder like, is his, is his animagus bag the grim? Like, I, I don't think it is, but yeah, it, it kind of seems of... like it could be, though. I, yeah. I am with you on that. Well, I feel like Sirius, it would fit with Sirius's, like, life story and stuff of, like, yeah, comes from a grim background, from grim old place. Yeah, totally. So oh, I you think remember we were talking about how the grim lives at the grim old place? I don't know if we've talked about that too much. No, that's weird. I mean, it's clearly intentional. So does that mean that Regulus is Protonus is an old? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, that was really dumb. Sorry. <laughs> Doesn't make a bit of sense either. <laughs> well, Sirius is Patronus is the Grim, and Regulus is Patronus is the Old. Good one. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Mrs. Black's Patronus is the Place. <laughs> Good one. Again, okay. we're just really reaching. Anyway, um, that is pretty much the wrapping up of the Snuffles plotline um, in uh, this book. So we're going to take a quick break to talk about a sponsor for today's episode, and then we'll come back to discuss the Sirius Harry relationship and Sirius's backstory. And that sponsor is Bombas. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They've literally rethought every little detail of the socks we wear to make them way more comfortable. Yeah, I wear my Bombas socks every day, um, and they're my favorite socks. I love them. Um, And not only are they super comfortable, but they're also super cute with bright patterns, um, and they come in all different kinds of styles for different weather activities and shoe styles. And these socks do more than keep feet cozy. They help give back to the most vulnerable members of our community. Because for every pair of socks you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. The generosity of Bombas customers has allowed them to donate over 40 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000 plus giving partners. And the impact is more more powerful now than ever. To those experiencing homelessness, these socks represent the dignity of putting on clean clothes, a small comfort that's especially important right now. So give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash real weird. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash real weird for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash real weird. And that brings us right back into our episode. Um, Like I said, our next theme is going to be a longer one, and this is Sirius and Harry's relationship. And this is kind of an interesting one because throughout this book, I mean, it's a roller coaster for the way Harry sees Sirius, um, and there's not a lot of feel good stuff until the very end um between the two of them um harry actually feels like a deeper hatred for sirius than he's ever felt for anybody else which is going to be really interesting to look at but i mean it does end with a happy ending at least yeah it is a really i mean honestly that is the plot of the book i think i mean that's the most important part of this book is just seeing the way that harry's perspective on sirius changes um and it is very powerful to see this arc um and just very interesting as well yes definitely so like i said the first um kind of plot with this is going to be the idea that sirius broke out to kill harry or that he broke out he's after harry And that's why he's broken out of Azkaban. So our first mention of that is going to be when Harry overhears Arthur and Molly talking in Diagon Alley about how the reason that Sirius has broken out is to get Harry. And Mr. Weasley thinks that Harry has a right to know, but Mrs. Weasley thinks that he's too young to find out. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, this particular the first moment that Harry hears this revelation is, you know, he overhears it. So he's not able to immediately, you know, get any questions answered. He's just kind of left alone to kind of stew with that information. Um, One thing that kind of annoyed me is I felt like in the movie, Harry was portrayed a little bit more of like being really afraid and like freaked out. Um, But in the books, I mean, he takes it pretty well. Yeah, he does have a little, like, uh, moment of emo introspection, which is classic Harry, um, of so serious Black was after him. This explained everything. Fudge had been lenient with him because he was so relieved to find him alive. He'd made Harry promise to stay in Diagon Alley, where there were plenty of wizards to keep an eye on him. 
and he was sending two ministry cars to take them all to the station tomorrow so that the Weasleys could look after Harry until he was on the train. So his biggest reaction here seems to be like, why is everybody babying me? Yeah, um, he's kind of like, <laughs> oh, it's a big conspiracy theory to keep me safe. Right. He, Mr. and Mrs. Weasley obviously thought Harry would be panic-stricken if he knew the truth. And he's like, is there, is there, is there anything safer? Or is there any safer spot for Harry to be than Hogwarts? So, like, these people are silly. And, um, so. I love when Harry always is, like, so confident in the safety of Hogwarts. And, like, <laughs> how secure he feels there. I mean, great. But Hogwarts is really not that safe. We see that uh, time right. and time again. Right. And then, then Harry people always say that Dumbledore was the only person Lord Voldemort had ever been afraid of? Surely Black, as Voldemort's right-hand man, would be just as frightened of him. And then, there were these, and then there were these Azkaban guards everyone kept talking about. They seemed to scare most people senseless. And if they were stationed all around the school, Black's chances of getting inside seemed very remote. <laughs> then the next line kills me. <laughs> this is the best. It says, no. All in all, the thing that bothered Harry the most was the fact that his chances of visiting Hogsmeade now looked like zero. <laughs> okay, Harry, that's all you're caring about here is, okay, now I don't get to go to Hogsmeade. I mean, honestly, though, like, this is pretty realistic to how a lot of 13-year-olds would react here because <laughs> yes. this, <laughs> I mean, I do remember, you know, there's times when, like, your parents are really looking out for your safety over everything and you just think like oh that is so dumb like nothing is going to happen you know and then like once you're an adult you kind of look back on those situations and you're like yeah but i scared you know i should have been a little more freaked out he scowled at the dark ceiling (laughs) did they think he couldn't look after himself he'd escaped lord voldemort three times he wasn't completely useless I love picturing Harry scowling, thinking about how he won't get to go to Hogsmeade. <laughs> His chances of visiting Hogsmeade now looked like zero. That All in all, that's the thing that bothers him most. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, in yeah, the movies, I, I feel like he reacts a little bit more like with maybe like more of an adult reaction to this, which would be to yes. take it extremely seriously and be really concerned and worried. Um <laughs> But I think this this actually is extremely accurate for how a lot of people this age would act. Right. I think you're right. Um, I, I completely agree. Um, this is very realistic to be focusing on that and not really thinking about the actual immediate danger. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, the next kind of development is that when Arthur tells Harry the truth about about this um he makes harry promise promise me that you won't go looking for black and harry does not make that promise because he i mean because he has to get out of the castle um but he basically like is told that that's what he's supposed to do why would i go looking for someone i know wants to kill me and i remember i actually do remember reading this the first time and thinking like oh well he didn't actually say he wouldn't do it and thinking that that was gonna like lead it to like something because yeah. that's the kind of thing that happens in a lot of kids books of like well he was he was supposed to make that promise but he didn't actually yeah. do it right this happens in a ton like of a clue. yes books and movies and stuff but i think what that is it's kind of interesting because that is a clue to something like it's kind of a clue to the idea that there's there is a reason that harry might want to go looking for Sirius, and we're going to find that out later um when he finds out the backstory. Um, so it's kind of interesting that we kind of are led to believe that one way, but that like, it's kind of dropping a clue toward the, that con that other concept. 
Yes, and it does it does definitely drop that clue, and then we're going to get more clues of, like, when with the Malfoy stuff later on, too, of what Malfoy says about Harry and, and Sirius. So we get Harry telling um, Ron and Hermione about this, um, about how Sirius has broken out or Black has broken out to kill Harry, and Hermione and Harry, or Hermione and Ron seem to care a lot more about this than Harry does, or they're a lot more freaked out than he than he is. Uh, so it, Hermione, Sirius Black escaped to come after you. Oh, ooh, Harry, you'll have to be really, really careful. Don't go looking for trouble, Harry. <laughs> I mean, and this is realistic too, because first of all, I do think like Harry, in addition to being a thirteen-year-old, like. He has been through so much that at this point, it's going to be tough for him to like, you know, he hears like another person's out to get him. Like, okay, it's kind of just par for the course at this point for him. Um, He's super used to it. Not that, it, you know, I'm sure that like deep down, this is frightening, but that's kind of his response that he comes up with. Um, But I think like for, I don't know, I do feel like, you know, these kids like more likely to really worry about their friends than to worry about themselves. Um. And I know that, like, I would have been really scared if I had heard that, like, one of my friends was being stalked by, like, a a convicted murderer. Right. Definitely. I think that this is realistic. That, I mean, for, we already talked about how Harry's reaction is realistic. But then to find out that, yeah, your friend is being stalked and, like, possibly, like, not, I mean, it seems like his goal is to kill Harry. That's not really outwardly said right away. Um, but I could see why Ron's all shaken up here and says Ron looked thunderstruck and Hermione had her hands over her mouth. Um, so it's just a nice moment for their friendship, I guess. Right. Well, especially after like Ron has been watching this on the news for a while now, um, you know, and it's been like the talk of the wizarding world. So he, for them, for him to find out like that Sirius is out to get his best friend has got to be quite the, the bombshell. And then just Hermione in general being more mature, I think, you know, she does worry about safety a lot more than the boys do, generally. I think that Ron knowing about, like, having this, it's not just that he's been watching the Daily Prophet and hearing about this on the Wizarding Radio or whatever, too. He also, like, knows about Azkaban, like, he's heard about that his whole life. And so he's really shaken up about the idea that no one's ever escaped from Azkaban before. And he was a top security prisoner. And, like, there's no way that... Like this, that that really affects Ron too because I think he's more familiar with what that really means. Yes, I, totally. Um, so then uh, our next moment with this serious Harry relationship is going to be when um, McGonagall decides that she needs to reveal to Sirius or to Harry that Sirius broke out to get her or to get him, and Harry's she she does this as though she's breaking this news to him. This is after the first break in, and Harry's like, oh, yes, I know." <laughs> Yeah, it's funny to see how McGonagall, like, really has to, like, steel herself to, like, deliver this blow, and then Harry's just so casual about it. Right. I know he's after me. I heard Ron's dad telling his mom, Mr. Weasley works for the Ministry of Magic. Thank you, Harry. (laughs) Thank you for the history lesson, Harry. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, McGonagall's suggestion is that that she doesn't think that he can practice Quidditch in the evenings anymore, but then Harry... Harry shoots that down and she she's pretty easily swayed yeah McGonagall hmm well goodness knows I'd like to see us win the cup at last it's like okay but like this is a matter of like he could be murdered I'm kind of surprised she was swayed by that but I guess there was never a bigger sports fan than Professor McGonagall she loves her Quidditch she's like either Um, Harry's gonna die or I'm gonna die because Snape won the cup again Right. So just to kind of merge this serious backstory 
theme um, with the serious Harry relationship. Um, we already got the like mention from Malfoy of Malfoy thinking, kind of suggesting that he knows more about Sirius than um, he uh, was letting on of saying like, oh yeah, Potter, you're going to try to go after him. I would if I were you. Like, don't you want to get revenge or you, maybe you don't want to risk your neck and like saying all these things. So that's sort of this inkling of like, Malfoy knows something about Sirius and something about this relationship uh, what the relationship to Harry is. Um, it's not going to be until the three broomsticks scene, though, where we have uh, the, the drinking buddies all reveal this uh, real backstory. Um, or yeah. part of part of the truth, I guess. It's not the real backstory. Right. It's it's the, the original backstory. Um, I think this is a really powerful scene, um, especially when Harry starts freaking out. Um, he was their friend. Um, no, in but the, in the movie, <laughs> no. But in all seriousness, like this is a really powerful scene because um, that is a huge revelation that they that Harry finds out about Sirius and the fact that he supposedly was best friends with James um, and then betrayed James um, and is the reason that Harry has no parents. Um, huge revelation and just hearing it told in the way he hears it, just like as kind of, I mean. They're they're not being disrespectful. They're they're all pretty horrified by the story and and appropriately so. Um, but the way that they're just kind of like talking about it as like a gossip thing, and then Harry just happens to overhear it. Like that is not a good way for Harry to find out. Right, um, definitely and, not. And it's similar to the way he found out that Sirius broke out to to kill him. Um, he seems to always be overhearing this stuff. He's not really supposed to know, um, but. In this particular one, it's obviously more impactful. And I just, the, the older I've gotten, the more I've realized, like, how traumatizing that would be. Right. I mean, for poor Harry, who's, like, lived his whole life not knowing his parents since he was a baby and, like, just, you know, totally disconnected from, like, love for most of his childhood um, to find out that, like, the reason according to this story, the reason that his parents were killed because they were betrayed by their best friend. Like that, that there's a lot of layers to that that really are traumatizing for poor Harry to hear here. Yeah. So I can definitely um, understand why he is so upset. And then just like you mentioned earlier, how he says, like after he learns this, he starts to feel like such a deep hatred for Sirius. He realizes that Sirius is the reason that he's grown up an orphan with the Dursleys um, and you know, it's all his fault in Harry's mind. Um, and I think just knowing that he was best friends with James, like just makes that betrayal just very, very um, powerful. Right. So this, this uh, scene where Harry's after like the aftermath, and this is a much more powerful aftermath than the, the way the movie does it. Obviously Harry starts looking through the photo album that Hagrid gave him, which has the wedding photos of um, James and Lily. And he finds Sirius in these photos and says that he, he sees the best man and says, if Harry hadn't known that it was the same person, he would never have guessed it was black in this old photograph. His face wasn't sunken and waxy, but handsome, full of laughter had he already been working for Voldemort when this picture had been taken? Was he already planning the deaths of the two people next to him? Did he realize he was facing 12 years in Azkaban, 12 years that would make him unrecognizable? And then Harry starts to think about how the Dementors affect him. And then it, he, he leads up to this feeling, like I said, of a hatred such as he had never known before was coursing through Harry like poison. And so he just, I mean, 
this is a really, really shocking, horrible revel- revelation for Harry to have here. And obviously it's not the truth, which makes it doesn't really make it any better at the moment. But it definitely it's hard to see Harry become so filled with hate like this. It is, but I do think it comes from, you know, a place of love for his parents. I think right. that, you know, he he really feels that loss more than he ever has before. So it's natural then to react this way. Um, but I agree, it's not normally how we see Harry experiencing the world. Um, <laughs> this isn't really, f- uh, there's really nothing funny about this scene, except for like that Harry is kind of visualizing the way this all played out. And my favorite is that Harry has pictured it where he says he could hear though having no idea what Black's voice might sound like. A low, excited mutter. It has happened, my lord. The potters have made me their secret keeper. <laughs> like, that it, he went, I mean, I get it. This is what I would do, too. I would be picturing, like, a dialogue between people and um, just imagining how it all played out. But it's just like, Harry does have a pretty vivid imagination. Yeah, definitely a vivid imagination. And then came another voice laughing shrilly. Ah! The same laugh that Harry heard inside his head whenever the Dementors drew near. So yeah, Harry does not sleep well that night. Um, <laughs> clearly. Or, yeah, I mean, I do get it, obviously. I know, yeah. I, I do feel so bad for him because this is just really hard. I mean, and this is, I think, what makes when he finally meets Sirius and gets the true story, um, their sort of reconciliation and meeting at the same time, like, that really does make it so much more powerful because I mean that's it's like healing that wound for Harry too right exactly so um what's interesting then is Ron and Hermione and this is before Ron and Hermione's big fight they kind of seem to have talked about this behind Harry's back a little bit because they exchange a look the next day and they have this this sort of intervention with Harry of telling him you can't go looking for black right Um, I yeah, think they this, know this, they know yeah. Harry's personality. That's that's everybody knows that that's going to be his natural instinct. Um, so I mean, they're being good friends to be looking out for his safety. Right. Um, it's interesting too because uh, and this is actually the third time that Harry's been told not to go looking for Black, or I guess the second time is from Draco, so it doesn't really it's not exactly the same. But it's the third kind of time that the idea of Harry going after Black is brought up, and it's kind of interesting with that because. Harry doesn't ever really actually go looking for Black, like, or looking for Sirius. It's weird to call him Black, but that's what they call him in this book. Um, I just think that it's kind of, it, you'd think that it sort of leads up to Harry running away from Hogwarts to try to go after Sirius Black, but that's not what happens. Yeah, I agree. It feels like he's going to and that it's inevitable that eventually he's gonna going to run after Black. I think it's a large part of why he doesn't do it is it's just he doesn't even really know where to begin. Well, he doesn't like, really get the chance either. Right. But like, I mean, he, I guess he's heard that Sirius is, is near Hogwarts, but like, where would, what would Harry do? Just like start running into the forbidden forest. And then just like, he has no idea where to even start. That's true. Yeah. But he does. I mean, Ron is like, well, what are you saying? You wanted to kill black or something. And Hermione, don't be silly. Harry doesn't want to kill anyone. Do you Harry? Yeah, Hermione is really freaked out. That would be me for sure in this situation. Right. Like, uh, no, you don't want to do that, right? Um, but yeah, Harry's also really affected by the idea that he he thinks the Malfoys must know about this, and 
I can think Harry's feeling like humiliated of like other people gossiping or thinking about him behind his back. Like you said, the way that he finds out is just such a horrible way to find out and have to hear overhear his teachers gossiping about it. Um, just, yeah, there's a lot of things here that are making this worse for Harry. Yes. Um, so, I mean, we're, I guess, I guess I don't know what would have happened if Harry would try to, I, I think that's another part of the reason of why he doesn't break out and try to, you know, get serious is just from a narrative perspective where would that go you know right, right. like well I mean I yeah I, I think yeah we just we don't really have the chance to have that happen and I think maybe maybe the explanation is that we get enough convincing from Ron and Harry Ron and Hermione here from Harry and that their friendship is a powerful enough reason for him to not do this um yeah. but what Harry Hermione's kind of final argument is that your your mom and dad wouldn't want you to do this and Harry I'll never know what they'd have wanted because thanks to Black I've never spoken to them <laughs> thank you Harry like for the the be-all end-all argument nobody could right. argue with that right. right this is like when Phoebe plays the mom's death card in Friends so right exactly they're, they're like okay okay we get it like, okay I guess I can't say anything to that right <laughs> I'm not gonna argue with you about that um so yeah then our next um thing with Sirius here is going to be the gift of the firebolt obviously we don't find out late until later that that's actually from Sirius but it is interesting that Hermione and McGonagall both have the the assumption that this must be from Sirius I mean it doesn't really take a rocket scientist to put that together like true I mean the fact that Harry doesn't come up with that right away just shows the the fact that he is like a you know a kid who doesn't have a ton of like ability to see beyond like, a cool new toy you know like <laughs> I mean you should be on the lookout for suspicious new gifts I mean it is highly suspicious but good thing I mean it I guess it would have been fine if Hermione hadn't been on the lookout but I definitely th- understand why she was worried right definitely um so obviously we'll get the real reveal of that this was from Sirius later on at the end of this book um but our next thing with with Harry and Sirius and the backstory here is Harry actually asks Lupin about Sirius um because he's been talking to Lupin in their private lessons about how Sirius about how Lupin knew um his parents um and how he knew James and Lily so Harry approaches Lupin Professor Lupin if you knew my dad you must have known Sirius Black as well and he's like, flips out. What gives you that idea? <laughs> right. And nothing. I, I mean, I just knew they were friends at Hogwarts, too. And Lupin, yes, I knew him. Or I thought I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> super unsuspicious there. Hey, but what about that scene with Lupin on the bridge? And your mother was there for me at a time oh. when... <laughs> your mother was there for me at a time when no one else was. She's an amazing woman. <laughs> I don't think that's what she says. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, I mean, I can see, it's interesting to think about Lupin here, too, because, I mean, Lupin is sort of an overlooked part of the the Sirius plot. I think that, you know, their reconciliation with Lupin and Sirius is very powerful as well. Um, but it, it is, like I said, a little bit overshadowed by Harry and Sirius. Um, but you see here how much Lupin was disturbed and and messed up by what happened um and just thinking that you know one of his one of his best friends betrayed his other best friend Um, well one of one of his best friends betrayed his two best friends because lily was really his closest friend she was there for him at a time your mother was there for me at a time when no one else was (laughs) 
Yeah, but I mean, he, he clearly is very um, disturbed by what happened with Sirius, and so I, I can see why he doesn't want to talk about it with Harry. I mean, even though Harry was obviously also impacted, I think it's just such a weird conversation to have with this kid. Right. <laughs> well, yes, I knew him, or I thought I did. <laughs> Um, yeah, but he just basically dismisses Harry here. Um, I do think Lupin, I mean, this is not the Lupin character side, but Lupin does walk the line often of, like, trying to figure out how much is too much to, or how personal is too personal with Harry. Like, Oh, for sure. He, he's, and it's not like he's, I'm not saying he's not thinking about it. I think he overthinks it all the time of, like, well, yeah. how much should I really reveal to Harry? Um, I think he could safely reveal more, but the, yeah. other thing, the other thing he's playing with is the idea that he has to be really careful, um, with his werewolf status and the fact that, you know, revealing to people that he also knows Sirius Black, like, he could look super guilty or implicated by this whole thing. Right, he knows just because he's kind of stereotypes, of, yeah. Right, and he's walking such a fine line. I mean, and the with fact Snape that... Snape, too. And everybody, I mean, yeah, Snape and Dumbledore know that he was friends with Sirius, so he is going to be a natural suspect in that way, too. Right. So I can see why he would want to be guarded about the fact that he was friends with Sirius. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, so then we get finally the Shrieking Shack and the fallout from that. So I do remember reading this the first time being like, I mean, obviously these last four chapters or these this four chapter sequence um, from professor Trelawney, or from, i guess from cat rat and dog on um is definitely just very exciting information um dump and like just all these things that happen um but this reveal of that he's the he's the um dog he's an animagus like that that's just such an epic moment it is and just the way it's written um and just kind of like that you know that transition that transformation um is very like disturbing in the moment because you, you we think that you know, we still think Sirius is the bad guy um but it it is just absolutely shocking um and a really good twist yes totally um so i mean i think we've gone over this in pretty pretty big detail with um this the um loop and character study but i think what's interesting in this scene with Sirius is again he's really doing himself no favors of like acting extremely creepy um and scary <laughs> um he's he's standing there uh it says if, if eyes hadn't been shining out of the deep dark sockets he might have been a corpse the waxy skin was stretched so tightly over the bones of his face it looked like a skull his yellow teeth were bared in a grin it was serious black and then he disarms all of them <laughs> expelliarmus he croaked <laughs> I thought I thought you'd come and help your friend. Your father would have done the same for me. Brave of you not to run for a teacher. I'm grateful. It will make everything much easier. Okay, it's, creeper. It's hilarious. Like I I think honestly in this moment Sirius is just he's been so isolated from other <laughs> yes. humans that he, he has forgot how to talk to normal people. This is going to be all of us after COVID lockdown. Yeah, he <laughs> has no idea like what is normal and what is like absolutely terrifying to these kids. Like maybe prioritize like you know, revealing hey guys, the fact what's like, up? like maybe first thing out of your mouth should be just quick spit out the whole story about Peter Pettigrew within right. like a paragraph. Like, like, 
Harry, I, I'm not who you think I am. Let me tell you the truth. Like, shout that out first. Like, not, I knew you'd come for your friend. It's what your father would have done for me. I mean, I, I mean, I think he means it, like, in an endearing way. Like, he's saying to Harry, like, right. I, I thought you would come for your friend. Like, I know, I know you're a good person. Like, <laughs> you know, that's not at all how he says it. But he's like, I know he's, like, proud of Harry. Like, I know you're a good person. And thank you, like, I don't want to get teachers involved because I'm about to murder another murderer. Um, but, yeah. yeah. And then, then Harry takes that as a taunt about his father. Right. And it's interesting because it says a boiling hate erupted in Harry's chest, leaving no place for fear. For the first time in his life, he wanted his wand back in his hand not to defend himself, but to attack, to kill. Um, so, definitely interesting to see this hatred that Harry's feeling for Sirius here. Um, Sirius does show a little bit of um, of, of like, I guess empathy, because he tells Ron to lie down. You will damage that leg even more. Yeah, that's right after Ron just said like, you'll have to go through us to kill Harry, and then, right. and, but he, instead of like, responding to that, he's like you'll need to lie down. Like, right. and then, Ron, did you hear me? You'll have to kill all three of us. Sirius. There'll only be one murder tonight. <laughs> His grin widens. <laughs> yeah, maybe specify who that's going to be because right, you're really creeping them out. You. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah, Harry flies into this rage and he tries to like fight Black with Muggle, like with his fists, um, and says that um, Sirius does not raise the wands, and so then Harry is actually able to, uh, like sort of defeat him for a moment there, but then Black's free hand found Harry's throat. No, I've waited too long. <laughs> He's definitely acting extremely guilty. Yes, um, exactly. So, I mean, I do think you're right. This is due to the last third, the last 12 and a half years of being locked up in Azkaban and then being on the run. Crookshanks has been his only friend for <laughs> 12 and a half years. Yeah. Um, so I, I do get it a little bit, but still. And it's also due to the fact that we want to draw out the suspense of the scene. Well, that um, too. <laughs> but yeah, so then like Harry actually goes so far as to like, you know, want to kill Harry. He's got his wand pointing at Harry and Sirius going to kill me, Harry. Right. Well, what's interesting, I actually had never noticed here that the reason that because Black's fingers closed around Harry's throat, but then Hermione's foot swang out of, came swinging out of nowhere. <laughs> apparently Hermione kicked Sirius I never noticed that yeah like how then a black let go of Harry with a grunt of pain <laughs> <laughs> and then Ron throws himself on Black's wand hand and then Harry's able to grab the wand yeah, they have quite the little brawl here and yeah, again like do. if Sirius would have just been you know a little more like upfront about his whole truth speaking his right. truth I think we could have I mean I do think that they're they were bound to have, you know, some disbelief um, and maybe to struggle a little bit. But like yeah. if he would have just acted calm and normal and not acted like he was trying to attack them, I think it would have helped a lot. Yes. Just like seriously, you come in and she's like, Harry, I have a lot to tell you. I have got a lot to explain. Hear me out. Like so just something rational like that would have really <laughs> gone a long way here. But now, now Sirius has a livid bruise rising around his left eye and his nose was bleeding. Um, and then, Harry, you killed my parents. And then Black, I don't deny it. 
right. so I guess I mean that this is showing the the immense guilt that Sirius has carried for the last twelve and a half years of he does feel responsible for James and Lily's death, but again, maybe consider your words here. Right. Like, I don't deny. Okay. Yes, we know, Sirius, that you feel guilty, but like, you didn't actually kill Lillian James. Right. And certainly not in the way that Harry thinks that you did. Exactly. So, and Sirius should know what the, I think he does know what the public thinks happened. So he should realize that that's what Harry's going to think. So, again, yeah, pick your words a little more wisely. Um, (laughs) But yeah, he finally does start saying, like, you know, you need to listen to me and you don't understand. Um, so he's finally, this is like several pages into this whole scene. It's like four pages into this sequence. And he's finally um, starting to try to tell his story. Yeah. So then the the Lupin um, reunion here is going to be interesting too, because Lupin makes himself look pretty suspicious too. But uh, Lupin and Sirius, it's actually kind of sweet now when you look back at it, when they embrace like brothers. <laughs> I know. I love I love it when you don't know that they're both fine and good and trustworthy. Um, the fact that they embrace like brothers is like extremely creepy. And you're like, you feel really betrayed by Lupin. Well, Hermione certainly does. Uh, but yeah, so then Lupin, I mean, obviously Lupin explains this, most of this stuff with the backstory here, um, the fact that he's a werewolf and everything too. And um, then finally we get the information about who Sirius is, what this story is. First of all, though, it starts with the Marauder's Map. Kind of interesting that that's how we start. Yeah, but I think it is a good, like, you know, Lupin did a better job of, like, understanding what Harry might know and what what would be a way to kind of connect Harry's current knowledge to the knowledge he needs. (laughs) Um, Unlike Sirius, who kind of just wasn't even trying to go for that. Right, so... I mean, this this information, I guess it does make sense because of the Peter Pettigrew stuff, and that's why. But yeah, I do think if I were Harry, I would be getting really impatient here. Yeah, that's true. Like, okay, just get on with it, please. Can we stop talking about the map? Right. Uh, so serious then, I mean, once we finally get to this Peter Pettigrew reveal and, um, you know, trying to get Wormtail out, because um, it, it is Lupin who does most of this explanation rather than Sirius. Um, Sirius is very, very anxious to get to killing Pettigrew, basically. Hurry up, Remus. Um, he's, wa- <laughs> he's watching Scabbers with a horrible sort of hunger on his face. Yeah, I mean, I get it. He's done his waiting 12 years in Azkaban. Um, But again, like, maybe assuring that you've convinced Harry, Ron, and Hermione of, of their, like, what they're doing um, is, is important. Right, exactly. And then we keep entering these obstacles. Like, first of all, Sirius is trying to tell the truth, and Lupin comes in. Then Lupin's trying to tell the truth, and then Snape comes in. Um, And I'm eating my words now of, like, Sirius risking things to go in the stands. He did not know that Snape works at Hogwarts. This is when Snape, then Sirius finds this out. So kind of interesting. So I don't think maybe he did know that Lupin was working at Hogwarts either. That is a little weird to me. Like, I guess maybe Snape possibly stays in the school more. Um he doesn't right. seem very shocked to see Lupin is the thing. No, he doesn't. I don't know. Maybe Crookshanks told him. But yeah, I do like a Snape. What's Snape got to do with it? <laughs> he works here, Sirius. Right. Um, so, yeah, Sirius is definitely very, uh, he doesn't try to 
suck up to Snape at all when when he they're entered or when they're reunited here. Um, <laughs> he's <laughs> definitely um, not gonna be like trying to win Snape's favor. But eventually, finally, we get to the Pettigrew reveal, and um, he's no longer going to be Scabbers. He becomes Wormtail, um, and Sirius is very very remorseful when they get when we get to this reveal that he thinks that he did as good as kill um james and lily um because he's the one who persuaded lily and james to use peter as their secret keeper right so that's can that's the explanation of why he was like yes i don't deny it that i killed them um i mean i understand that's obviously a horrible moment that you would regret for the rest of your life but it wasn't obviously done out of any sort of malicious intent he thought it was the best idea at the time so we can't we can't actually blame Sirius for what happened. So I, I personally totally I don't hold any sort of responsibility to him. Yeah, I agree. Um, definitely not. Um, so I think that it makes sense that he personally carries around this guilt. Like I would probably feel this way too, but it's not justified. Really, I mean, I'm not saying like oh he's dumb for thinking this because that makes sense. That's how a lot of people's brains work. But I I also as an objective. Uh, I am pretty subjective, but I don't. Th- I don't think that Sirius should blame himself if he could get past it. I would. I think that'd be good. Yeah, totally. But I think one other thing is that just seeing Peter Pettigrew here. Um, I mean, that's the evidence that Harry and Ron and Hermione really need to believe. So this is very, very compelling. Um, and so that's definitely also a factor here. Of like, once once we see Peter Pettigrew, we suddenly start to realize like okay we can maybe trust Sirius now right um so then yeah Sirius talking to Pettigrew is is pretty he's so so angry with Pettigrew and he he's like talks down to him really of just like how how stupid you were and how like why are you um suggesting like that I could be the the spy for Voldemort when did when did I ever sneak around people who were stronger and more powerful than myself but you Peter I'll never understand why I didn't see you were the spy from the start you always liked big friends who'd look after you didn't you it used to be us (laughs) (laughs) yeah he I mean serious we do I, I get it for how he's treating Peter Pettigrew and how he treats Snape but like we do see him immediately reverting back to this bully kind of persona that he had when he was at Hogwarts that we learned more about later so that is a consistent side to his character um that carries through right and I mean I think what's interesting here is that we have this like plan of like that Sirius was supposed to be the bluff of like that Voldemort would believe that Sirius was the secret keeper and so they'd go after him instead um but then of course they persuaded him to use Pettigrew or them to use Pettigrew instead. Um, I don't really know like what's the end game if Voldemort goes after Sirius looking for the location of like James and Lily, like if Sirius reveals like a lie or like can't tell him. Like Sirius would probably have gotten murdered. I don't know, like himself. Right. I, I kinda I kinda get what you I agree. Like why I don't know that it's like at some point the power of the of the um the charm kind of wears off because it's like somebody's going to end up murdered. Right. Exactly. I mean, unless everybody's everybody else's secret keeper, I don't, I don't really know, but I mean, clearly that's not what happened. So we don't have to or worry maybe, about it, I guess. Maybe Sirius was just like more okay with going into some sort of like permanent hiding status until Voldemort could be vanquished, you know, like 
maybe he thought, you know, I can just sneak away for a long time. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the plan, I guess. Um one one other reveal in this um sequence with Pettigrew is that Sirius reveals to Harry that uh, he was able to escape from Azkaban because he was a dog or uh, he was living as a dog and then also the reason that he did escape was because he saw um Peter in the picture and so he had to escape and his explanation here that um, he, it was as if someone had lit a fire in my head and Dementors couldn't destroy it. It wasn't a happy feeling, but more of a memory or more of a feeling. <laughs> it was an obsession. Right. But it gave me strength. It cleared my mind. So one night when they opened my door to bring food, I slipped past them as a dog. And then he was very thin, thin enough to slip through the bars. He swam as a dog back to the mainland journeyed north and slipped into the Hogwarts grounds as a dog. I've been living in the forest ever since, except when I came to watch the Quidditch, of course. You fly <laughs> as well as your father did, Harry. <laughs> and I do think that that's a very, that that moment um, is where I think Harry is won over. I think so too. And just, um, it is interesting just to see once he's heard all of this, how willing Harry is to forgive Sirius I mean he didn't really do anything now once we know the truth but he he has held on to this hatred for Sirius and and he does get rid of that when he hears the truth and has this immediate connection to Sirius and and feels like okay this was my father's best friend um and so that is very special yeah and then I think also when when Sirius blows up at Pettigrew he because because Wormtail tries he goes, Harry, Harry, you just look, you look just like your father, just like him. <laughs> How dare you speak to Harry? How dare you face him? How dare you talk about James in front of him? Um, and so I think that that also wins Sirius some points in Harry's book, too. Yeah, well, he can see the passion with right. which Sirius is defending James. Um, and then also just even though for a minute here we thought that Lupin had betrayed them too, like Harry ha does have a great relationship with Lupin and really trusts him. So seeing the fact that Sirius and Lupin seem to be working in tandem, that's obviously also a very convincing moment. Right. And then his shouting at Peter, you should have died, died rather than betray your friends as we would have done for you. I think that that probably hits home for Harry too. Yes, totally. I mean, it lines up exactly with his morals. Right, exactly. So, um, then Harry does intervene with this like decision of whether they should kill Peter. Um, Harry, this piece of vermin is the reason you have no parents. Okay, thank you, thank you, Sirius. <laughs> thank Harry you for that explaining. Out. <laughs> well, it's interesting here that Harry does take mercy on on Peter, and I know this is a conversation for another time. But um, when he was so filled with hatred for Sirius, and I think it has to do with the fact that like he saw the. The serious betrayal of James as a more serious offense um, in just the idea that like they were truly best friends and sort of equals and then Sirius you know sold him out whereas Peter Pettigrew is somebody that Harry can more take pity on he doesn't feel like it's quite the same like it wasn't really James's equal um, it wasn't as devastating a betrayal even though it obviously has the same results as what Harry thought. Well, I think also the fact that Harry was wrong sort of makes this like a harder decision for him or like a less of a a weighty decision of like realizing how permanent it could have been if he had tried to murder Sirius. I mean, not that I don't think Sir Harry would have been able to because he didn't know the killing curse or anything, but like the um, 
the like fact that he was so sure and had so much hatred for Sirius and then was wrong. Like, I mean, I think he is convinced that it was Pettigrew, but the fact that he was wrong so, so quickly or proved wrong in such a quick um, amount of time, I think probably gives him pause as well. Yeah, totally. Um, so then we have our walk out of the, the um, Shrieking Shack tunnel, um, the weirdest, the weirdest three-legged race that's um, ever been, <laughs> or six-legged race. Um, but Sirius then on this walk um, offers to Harry, like, you can come live with me once you're, once my name has been cleared. And it's very sweet to see how excited Harry is by this idea without even knowing Sirius. Like, he really doesn't know him at all yet. Um, and no. he's just immediately sold on this idea. And then what's also sweet is to see how excited and happy Sirius is to hear him say yes. Yeah, I mean... Really, like, Sirius, first of all, he's like, oh, no, I, I mean, I understand if you don't want to. You probably really, you know, I I understand. And then Harry just, like, totally refuting that, like, no kind of pretenses of, like, trying to act cool or anything. He's just like, of course I want to live with you. When can I move in? And then you just see Sirius experience one of this, one of the only moments of, like, pure joy that Sirius has in the entire series um, is is knowing that, Harry would want to live with him and honestly like that is so moving it really really is um it says his his gaunt face broke into the first true smile Harry had seen upon it the difference it made was startling as though a person 10 years younger were shining through the starved mask for a moment he was at he was recognizable as the man who had laughed at Harry's parents wedding and this of course makes it so tragic that this is not what's going to happen not even close to what's going to happen yeah I know it really is just like so heartbreaking just to see how close they got and how much that would have meant to both of them um I mean they still do get to forge a great relationship but it's yeah it's just really it's just one of those moments like it feels like a something from the past year of like the quarantine of like some good news that got ripped away right it's like trying to catch it's like trying to catch smoke it's like trying to catch smoke with your bare hands (laughs) thank you for that You know what I'm referencing, right? Oh well, I think now I'm trying not to remember. It's that random kid in the third movie oh, who's just yeah. like talking <laughs> on his room, and I don't even know what he's he's talking about catching black. I think, but he's like, he's like, it's like trying to catch smoke. It's like trying to catch smoke in your bare hand. I with knew your bare it was hands. a quote from some random person, but I couldn't quite place it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that character is named. It's just like some random student. But yeah. Anyway, um, so then finally, when Harry helps Sirius escape, we have the the mention or Sirius's final words to, to Harry are, "You are truly your father's son, Harry." Um, and obviously, we have all the stuff with the Dementors and stuff. But I, I feel like just with with Harry and Sirius's relationship, this last moment is what's most important here, besides what we just talked about. Yeah, and I mean, that that is also just, like, so touching just to see, I think, for Harry, how much that means. Um, somebody that truly knew his dad to be able to tell him that. Um, and then also just for Sirius, too. He, he's been, his best friend was killed and murdered. And, um, you know, to be able to see a piece of him that's still living, it's it's very, very powerful. Definitely, yes. Um, and then our final moment with Sirius is going to be this, this letter um, on the train that they're reading, where first of all, he reveals that he was the one who sent the, the firebolt and that Crookshanks took the order to the owl office for him. 
Um, and then also I like what he says. I would also like to apologize for the fright I think I gave you that night last year when I when you left your uncle's house. I had only hoped to get a glimpse of you before starting my journey north, but I think the sight of me alarmed you. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, uh, and then we also have the Hogwarts permission or the Hogsmeade permission letter, and the P.S. of telling Harry that Ron should keep the owl. Yeah, uh, in the movie, this scene is Sirius sending the firebolt for the first time, and then we're going to get that cool freeze frame effect at the end. Oh, <laughs> booyah! <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think this is a nice... I We know that the plot with Sirius isn't happy. Um, even in this book, it's very bittersweet because we know that he didn't get justice yet. He's escaped. Um, he's not... He didn't get the Dementor's kiss, but he's also not been exonerated. Um, right. But I think that it, it is a nice way of putting a somewhat happy ending onto this this plot. Yeah, and I think also it's kind of interesting, his, his plan here. He says, I'm planning to allow some muggles to glimpse me soon, a long way from Hogwarts, so that security on the castle will be lifted. I mean, I think Dumbledore was probably going to lift security regardless. But <laughs> yeah, it is nice to see. I mean, I do think Sirius is living in a little bit more freedom i mean it's interesting because you'd think he'd actually be more on the run knowing that wormtail's on the loose and like trying to chase after him or something i don't know but um that doesn't seem to be an option for him or something that he's considering well and it seems i think that harry has sort of freed Sirius from that because i think it became harry's decision about what was going to happen with that's true so i think Sirius isn't trying to actively pursue that anymore that's true too um and i think also having Buckbeak now like that's made his escape a lot easier like he's Mm -hmm. traveling around on Buckbeak rather than just on foot or by foot as a dog um so I think he has more freedom that way too yes um so I mean he's honestly like the next stretch like the fourth book I think is is Sirius's sweet sweet spot like this is that's honestly the best it's gonna get for best, him which the is, best year of his life yeah i mean besides when he was a kid probably at right well that's what Marauders, i mean but <laughs> right the yeah best the best year that we see him the best year that we see of him because i mean he yeah we'll get into that um in the future but he's gonna actually have some freedom versus i mean he still is on the run so it's not ideal but better than some of these yeah the other stuff he goes through Right. So actually, that is the end of Sirius in the third book. We are going to rate him. But before we do that, we have an announcement to make, which is you kind of just sort of touched on. Instead of, and we're kind of launching a new new uh, way of doing our, yeah, new approach of doing our character studies. Um, we are going to spend the next two weeks now talking about Sirius. So we're going to talk about Sirius in the fourth book next week, and then Sirius in the fifth book the following week. Um, and then from now on, Whenever we reach a character who we want to do multiple part character studies on, we're going to do that pattern of, of week after week, um, spending time talking about their entire arc in the series. Because the last couple of times that we've done part ones, part twos, parts threes, we kind of get get lost of what we talked about in the last one because it was six weeks ago or 12 weeks ago. And we want to be able to do our, our due diligence of which characters we've talked about and talk about them as much as we can so we're starting at kicking this off with Sirius it's always subject to change depending on what people like or don't like about it but we wanted to try it out with Sirius and he seemed like a good one to start with because we're at the end of the third book with our real weirdos all the ones who are going to win real weirdos after Sirius have already done a character study in this book um and there's only three 
books that Sirius is a prominent character in. So yeah. next so, week and the following week, we'll be talking about Sirius again. Yeah, so I'm excited for this approach. I think it's going to be interesting. But I, like you said, I think this is going to lead us to some more in-depth conversations. And I think it makes sense to start doing it now because this is when, you know, a lot of the characters we've gotten the first few books kind of out of the way, so to speak. Um, and this is when the plots really start going. Um, there still will be some mixing it up because some characters are still only going to get one episode. Um, some will get two, some will get more. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, characters where they've already had like two or three parts um, will just continue where we left off and, and finish right. out their arc. Exactly. So we'll see what people think. Um, let us know what you think of this idea, but we're excited to spend the next two weeks talking about Sirius. Um, hopefully you are too. Um, this was a very long character study. Let's let's uh, finish it off with giving her, uh, Sirius our rating on our little rubric here. So as far as heart goes... I mean, in this in this book, it's kind of hard. I mean, he definitely is passionate, uh, pursuing I mean, his <laughs> his passion of getting Wormtail. Yeah, it's interesting because we're rating not only like who we know him to truly be, but we're also, I mean, a big part of this book is kind of all of the the false stuff about Sirius. So it's kind of hard to say. Um, but I would maybe give him like a four because I do feel like by the end of the book, we've really seen his true heart and just. The connection with Harry is so important. Um, I, I would maybe hesitate to give him a full five just because yeah. we, did, we we had, you know, so much time in the book where we didn't understand him. Yeah, and the moments of recklessness, he's not really considering others, um, like <laughs> yeah. the fat lady or Ron. So I, I agree, four seems right, because he's got the passion and he's got the, like, he does really care about things, but he's a little bit reckless in the way he's treating others. Yeah. Um, humor, I mean... That we kind of laughed at him being super creepy in the Shrieking Shack, but I don't know, maybe, maybe like, a like a two or three. I would say like a three. Um, that was actually pretty funny. It's not really funny the first time you read it because it's scary, but um, I think now it is pretty funny. Um, right. And yeah, so I'd say like a three. Okay, three sounds good. And then uniqueness and creativity. I mean, I think this mystery is so well done, so I think probably at least a four, right? Yeah, I would almost say a five. I think this is a very unique um, character, uh, and just that twist was so cool. Um, it's very creative. Yeah, so five sounds good to me, and then depth, maybe more like a three for this one, right? Yeah, we haven't gotten to see like all of his motivations yet, or kind of what makes him tick, and and the ways that you know he's experienced trauma and and is you know working through stuff so I think that that's gonna you know, the depth does come a little bit later with him I mean it is at a three I think already because we've got the the backstory of the marauders but I think yeah we'll get more in the next couple books right so um definitely that seems like the right rating for him here we've got uh, is that 13 well 15 points for him yes 15 points for Sirius that's pretty high yeah. um that's that that does stack up pretty relatively high um again we'll find out how that changes next week um when we get back into uh, doing our second character study for Sirius. um our website is realweirdsisters.com you can find episodes there comment on there um find the list of our real weirdos who's coming up next that kind of thing we're on facebook at facebook.com slash real weird sisters twitter at real weird sister and instagram at real weird sisters pod again those are the two places you can follow us for the march madness polls that we're doing for our real weirdos this month 
And then, of course, the number one way to support the show is by going to patreon.com slash realweirdsisters um, and supporting us at a financial level there. Um, we just had our February Patron cast, or I mean, sorry, our patron cast, our extra podcast that we do every month. That just came out last week or a week and a half ago if you're listening to this live or when this came out. Um, we do an extra show every month for our patrons. We have a Facebook group. We have a Discord server. We've got lots of different great rewards. Um, and we just really couldn't do this without the support of the patrons. So, of course, not everybody's able to support the show financially. You can go to iTunes, give us a five-star review. Um, that's a great way to support the show as well. Um, we have one this week to read from Broccoli Slayer. Um, <laughs> and the, the Broccoli Slayer says the title is Comforting Nostalgia Except Shirley Temple. So Broccoli Slayer says, after a binge reread during COVID quarantine, I wanted my Harry Potter immersion to continue, and the Real Weird Sisters were perfect. I've been listening to the Cub episodes continuously, Alice and Martha's voice impressions, giddy laughter, and pop culture references. Oh, <laughs> made me so nostalgic about my HP-obsessed childhood and messing around with my little sister. The crowning moment of this podcast is imagining wedding tonks as Shirley Temple. This killed me. Curly Top was my idol as a kid. I can't stop thinking about it. The crossover opportunities are horrifying. And I will be the first to say I do not remember doing this discussion, having this discussion. Do you? Well, I think we talked about the good ship lollipop, and I don't know if that was from Curly Top. I, I think, no, I think Curly Top is Shirley Temple. Well, I know, but that was also one there. of the movies was called that. But I think she's saying Curly Top meeting her Shirley there. Oh, okay. I don't think you would say the the movie was her idol. Well, I thought <laughs> maybe I she meant the character in a, Curly Top. I don't even know what pronouns this person uses, so um, I was assuming there. I think you're uh, but, uh, projecting no. because, Martha, you um, are a, bro- a broccoli slayer yourself. I, exactly. That's probably what I'm doing here. But no, I think I think what the reference was uh, Shirley Temp. Uh, Tonks at the wedding has blonde curly hair, I think is her disguise. And so we were saying, like, what, like Shirley Temple? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we probably uh, talked about the good to, ship lollipop. I think I need to have my memory refreshed because that I, yeah. was a while ago. But um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad we talk about Shirley Temple apparently a lot on this show, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, thank you, Broccoli Slayer, for the review. Um, I'm also a Broccoli Slayer. I love broccoli. Um, can't get enough. <laughs> yeah, Martha would straight up inhale a sheet of uh, broccoli. Oh, I sure would. Okay, so next week we'll be talking about Sirius Black Part 2, Sirius in the Fourth Book. Hope you uh, stick around for that. Until next time, we're the Real Weird Sisters. We're the weird sisters, we're the real weird sisters. All you other weird sisters are fine, but not the victors. Will the real weird sisters please stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.